Hello and welcome to Amplify Archaeology. We've had a little bit of a hiatus because of, you know, well, global pandemic and everything like that. So I hope you're all keeping well and safe. Um, but we're back now and we've got some fantastic interviews lined up, not least today with Dr. Nora White. We're here in the beautiful borderlands of South Tipperary, the beautiful Premier County with um, well, Kilkenny next door, you, you can't always pick your neighbours, but we're at a Henny with the fantastic high crosses. We're not actually talking about high crosses today though, we're going to be talking about home, a subject I think that it really captures popular imagination in a lot of ways. It's one of the more kind of uh, famous symbols, I suppose, of Ireland's past, but we're going to get into what it is, what it dates to, and, you know, what it means as far as possible, uh, with Dr. Nora White now. So, Dr. Nora White, you are very welcome to Amplify Archaeology. Thank you very much. Um, can we just start by kind of introducing what, well, first before we get into it, is it Ohm or is it Ogham? Because I've heard both. Uh, mm. Is the one more correct than the other? N not more correct. Um, they're both correct. One is the modern Irish pronunciation, Ohm, and okay. Ogham then would be the old Irish pronunciation. So it depends oh, okay. on... You know, Whether you're a traditionalist yes, or Yes, exactly, yeah. Okay, very good. Uh, could you explain what it is and, and roughly kind of what sort of time period are we looking at? Where does it fit in? Well, Om is a script, basically. Um, it, uh, it's, it was used um, for the very earliest writing in Ireland and it okay. was used, uh, it was developed or created for, for the Irish language, so for the sounds of a very early form of the Irish language. Um, our earliest inscriptions, um, we can only really roughly date them linguistically, okay. chronologically, linguistically, and the earliest appear to be around 5th century or late 4th, so the creation of Ogham then has to be uh, late 4th, um, 4th century at the latest, so, so it could be even earlier, the creation of the, the script itself. So kind of round about the time that kind of Christianity and things like that are just kind of beginning in yeah. Britain and Ireland, or that sort of era. Exactly, yes. Yeah. That's really interesting. And you know what, I suppose there's a lot of theories about where it came from. Is it uh, something, like I, I remember reading a theory that it could be like Roman military shorthand. Sorry, I, I've got to explain, there's a crow banger in the next field. It's not that we're recording this with snipers taking pot shots at bad questions. Although that could be the case. Um, if it suddenly goes quiet, you know what's happened. Sorry, Nora, <laughs> I'll ask that okay. again. Um, yeah, so I remember reading the theory that it could be some form of like Roman military shorthand or it could be some kind of um, mix, really, of Romano-British kind of culture mixed with early Irish. Is there any truth to any of that? Do we know its origins? We don't. There are a, a lot of theories, but we don't really have any, we don't have any evidence, direct evidence for, okay. uh, you know, what the influence, where it came from, where the idea came from or that. But yeah. I mean, we know, what we do know is that uh, it was designed specifically for Irish. Okay. Uh, we know that because it has the sounds that that would have been in Irish. For example, it doesn't have a P because there was no P in Irish at the time. Okay. We know that uh, the framers, uh, th those who created it, the person, probably one individual at one precise time created this mm. uh, alphabet or script and that they were familiar with Latin. Okay. Uh, um, so we know that, but as to why they used this system of kind of lines and 
uh, notches. Mm -hmm. um, that is hard to hard to explain, but it's um, the, one of the theories was that it may have got the idea from you know the tally sticks and that kind of thing and certainly yeah. there is this numeral kind of thing you know it's it's it, one to five scores mm -hmm. uh, um, orientated uh, on a stem line and then you have the notches usually for vowels I mean that's interesting as well that the vowels are separated from the consonants okay so there are a few things we can tell about it but we really don't know um, an yeah. awful lot we don't yeah. have any evidence of uh, you know it, it can't there's nothing that's obvious you know where it comes from that so you can definitely yeah pin it to, exactly to a thing. And how was it first kind of deciphered where, where was the first kind of record for it how well, did that happen ohm didn't really need to be deciphered as such because okay. uh once they stopped carving ohm on stone mm -hmm. when the manuscript tradition started and they started using the latin or roman alphabet mm -hmm. um knowledge of ohm continued and, and it was uh, you know, it's clear in our manuscript sources, there is there is material on Ohm. The Book of Ballymote, for example, has yeah. a lot of material on Ohm, and we have okay. uh, a key to the Ohm alphabet. Okay. So knowledge of Ohm was never lost. In fact, uh, the Ohm alphabet, uh, the letter names uh, yeah. are very important, and they're an important part of a scholar's training in the later medieval period. So, okay. so knowledge of Ohm was never lost. And then, of course, you have the... Um, inscriptions the bilingual inscriptions in wales yes, so you okay. know so it, it's you know uh, an equivalent inscription in the latin uh, script on the face and in on ohm in ohm on the edge brilliant so we had that continuity that yeah that, that that's really important and um is there a kind of a, a usual sort of setting for these uh, uh, is it firstly uh, you know you, you've mentioned it, they kind of appear in some of the manuscripts and, and things like that as well uh, apart from manuscripts and the stones can you find them on you know do you think that there could have been timber ohm posts for example or are there portable objects with ohm on them what sort of variety do we see and in, in where we find it Okay, well, first of all, well, on the stones themselves, um, they are found at a wide variety of sites. I mm. mean, quite a few are found at early church sites. Yeah. But um, often uh, you will find ohm used almost secondary, um, secondarily on a, an earlier monument, like a, um, we have Bronze Age or, you know, prehistoric standing stones that yeah. have ohm inscriptions on them. Um, so there's a wide variety of site types for ohm, but then okay. a lot of ohm stones have also been moved from their original context. Yes. So okay. quite a lot of them are found in suzerains, particularly mm. in, in certain areas in County Cork, for example, and an mm. awful lot of the ohm stones were found in suzerains. So we don't really know what their original context was. Yes. Okay. Um, then portable objects, yeah, we do smaller numbers, yeah. you know, much smaller numbers, but we do have some portable objects. Uh -huh. uh, in both Ireland and a few in Scotland and the and UK as well, um, mainly bone uh, with ohm. Uh, there's an amber bead from County Clare. Oh, beautiful! Uh, there was a wooden weaver's board, I think, that was found in the 1960s, I believe. Okay. I've never seen it, but I've read about it at some stage. And I think yeah. there was another wooden object found with ohm in it more recently. It may not have been published yet, so we'll wait and see what comes out of that. Yeah. But um, but yeah, there have been a few portable objects all right found. Um, the difference with the portable objects, mm -hmm. so far, insofar as we can tell, the inscriptions appear to be later. Okay. Um, now, sometimes it's too fragmentary to really be sure, but even, 
even sometimes the way it's positioned on the object, you know, it might actually have a line drawing, drawn and it might have arrows indicating the direction, which is generally considered to be a later feature. Okay. So they do seem, the portable objects do seem to be a bit later than the, the stones, the monumental ohm that we see in the landscape. And do you know, some of those kind of, I, I suppose I'm thinking of kind of classic ones, there's one in Tyrone, uh, Tyrone, uh, I, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's this beautiful tall stone and it, it seems to be like sitting on a, you know, a, a kind of really prominent location. Do you think some of them served as kind of boundary markers and territorial markers or, or something like that? Quite possibly. Um there are quite a few that have been that we you know the ones that are seem to be in their original location they yeah. do some of them do seem to be quite near boundaries or some of them even on mm. boundaries okay uh, you know old uh, parish boundaries that may be even older boundaries um, relate back to kind of old tribal territories or kingdoms yeah or possibly like possibly yeah. it's hard to be sure but it's, it, there certainly does seem to be something there with mm. some of the stones um, now whether the stone was originally a boundary marker and then an inscription was put on it later or mm -hmm. you know we don't know for sure yes. one interesting thing though about the um the inscriptions is that uh the names they're only usually found once okay, okay. you might find uh, the family name or the um the kin group name mm -hmm. mentioned a few different times but the individual that's commemorate or whatever is generally only found once. That's very interesting. Yeah. And is it usually names that you would find on them? Is it normally, is there a particular formula to the inscription itself? There is, yes. Uh, they're very formulaic because um, it is all names. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's just a single personal name. Mm -hmm. uh, often you would have uh, the father's name, so you'd have um, your particular formula words that are used, like Makwi, which okay. is the old, uh, an older version of Mak, son. So that's one of the most common uh, formula words. So you'd have the father's name. Uh -huh. um, then sometimes you'd have the grandfather's name as well. So you'd have like a, um, okay. a mini genealogy sort of thing on the stone um, so you'd have Awi which is uh, an early form of O uh -huh. and of course these then went on to, to form the, the Irish surnames the Mock and the O surnames later on That's really uh, so literally son of and grandson of yeah so you, occasionally you will have a bit of extra information but very occasionally for example there's one uh, Arid Lane on Mount Brandon mm -hmm. uh, that commemorates uh, Crifter Crifter Ronan, so the priest uh, Ronans, but that's very okay. unusual to actually okay. have, uh, you know, a station in life or whatever mentioned. That's very interesting. And you'd think if it was marking some kind of territorial thing, it, it, it would, you might see, you know, this is, you know, Connor's land kind of thing. So you might see the same name more often, but, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's interesting that you'd only find them once. Yes, yeah. yeah. But the name, when you, the names on the stone are in the genitive case, so it's the okay. possessive. Okay. So it means, uh, for example, if you have Ronan, it's uh, of Ronan. So it's kind of oh, okay. like, is it the stone of, the territory of, you know, the burial of, we don't know. Yes. Uh, but some of the inscriptions uh, have the word onum before the name, okay. uh, which can mean name or soul, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So um, whether, whether, you know, whether that's relevant for all the rest of them or not, we don't really know. But And do you know if any have been kind of excavated in situ? Like, do we know if they were standing on, you know, for example, there's often a, a, a correlation between high crosses and high status burials. Do we know anything like that about 
Well, the problem is that very little modern excavation anyway. I mean, McAllister yeah, okay. did excavate, um, yes. but there aren't any modern excavations that I know of at home sites. So that would be something that would be very interesting yeah. to do. Uh, certainly, I mean, it might help. I know there are only a few that we're absolutely certain that they're in their original location. Well, we're never fully certain, but we're fairly sure. certain that yeah. they're at their original location. But it would be great to get yeah. to, uh, um, an excavation done and get some more context because that's one thing we often are missing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we don't know for sure if they're marking burials or not, so it would be nice to have some evidence. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and again, you know, just it would also maybe answer the question about reuse if it was Bronze Age stone socket it was studied, mm -hmm. for example. Or, exactly, or yes. Like that, you know? yeah. It'd be kind of an interesting thing. Um, can, you know, the inscriptions, uh, you know, being the names and things, is there anything it can tell us about the society of the time, do you think, or do we not have, is that kind of extrapolating too much out of just one person's name? Yeah, I suppose it can be difficult uh, with such uh, small amount of information, but mm -hmm. I suppose even the fact that it's, it's practically all male names. Okay. There have been one or two female names found okay. in in the Welsh on the Welsh uh, inscriptions, but mm. in Ireland it's it's practically all, as far as we can tell, male names, and it's all mm. son of. Yes, you okay. don't get daughter of except in one of the Welsh ones. That's very. So that's one thing. Um, I suppose the names themselves can maybe tell us a little bit. Okay. Um, uh, we have names of deities, like uh, Lug occurs a lot. We have Divna okay. from the Kirkagina yeah. region. So we have deities like that, Erk as well. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of, of names are made up of elements, uh, like animal names. Okay. Um, well, for example, Ronan, the little seal, and Brokon, little badger. So there's a lot of names like that, uh, okay. animal names. You also have uh, elements that are used a lot are Koth. Uh, meaning battle, um, okay. netta meaning champion. Okay. So you know we can, I suppose, tell a little bit from the types of names. The animals were yeah. important to this. Particular animals were important, maybe, to the society and and feats like fighting. Yes, <laughs> that kind of yeah, thing as well. it was obviously enough, I suppose. Yeah, it, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it can be. It is a leap sometimes tr trying to transpose just such a small amount of information but it is insights. a big leap yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and are they more popular in certain parts of Ireland than other parts they are certainly found more in the southwest okay um, the highest concentrations are in County Kerry and in particular the Dinga Peninsula okay. it, it has a really high concentration there uh -huh. um, after Kerry I suppose Cork would have uh -huh. the second highest in numbers then Waterford and Kilkenny would have a fair few as well, but it's mm. it's mainly the southwest. Um, but you know, saying that, um, you'd still have uh, one in almost every county. There are mm. two or three exceptions, but there's you know. The, yeah, it's just a kind of smaller distribution. Mm -hmm. We're actually working on um, a project which is looking at the ancient connections between Wexford and Pembrokeshire in Wales. And one of mm. the things I thought was really interesting when we were looking at this kind of period was that there was quite a lot of home stones in Pembrokeshire in Wales. Yeah. But there's virtually none in Wexford. But in the next county of Waterford, there's a there lot. There are a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah there so are a few in Wexford, but yeah, in comparison to in Waterford, comparison, yeah, yeah, there aren't so many. And do you think it's just perhaps certain tribes uh, kind of culturally had home as part of the... That is certainly a possibility, Sorry. and that would make sense then uh, for Kirkagina, for the Dinga Peninsula, to have... 
uh, a high concentration of mm. stones there and a lot of the um stones on the Dingan Peninsula, at least five of them if I remember correctly, have uh, Mokoi Divinius which is an early form basically of Kirkagina. Okay. So, so it may be associated with, with certain dynasties or kin groups. I see. And, and of course, that I suppose, you know, if there's a, a decent number in Watford and there's quite a lot in Wales, of course, you've got the expulsion of the Dacia to Wales and all of this kind of thing. So yeah, sure. Who yeah, knows, yeah, yeah. you can start to extrapolate yeah, all settle, sorts settlers of could have brought it with them for <laughs> sure, yeah. Do we find them elsewhere in the... So we, we've mentioned Wales. Uh, do we get them in Scotland? Do we get them in yes. other parts? Isn't the one found recently in a portable antiquity scheme in the Midlands of England or something? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, very recently, uh, is that the Coventry one you're thinking of? Yeah. It's a very small little stone. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I I only know a little bit about it, but um, yeah. yeah, it's it's a very unusual one because it's very small. Yes. Okay. Uh, it okay. does look very much like Omar, right? But, but it's not confirmed at this point. It's, it's not really. I mean, I yeah. don't know if anyone has even seen it. Um, yeah. You know, to confirm it as yeah. yet. So yeah. the story is kind of broken but it hasn't been fully confirmed it looks yeah. convincing and it, if yeah. it is home then you know when was it actually made we don't know you know it's, yeah and what's its yeah. original setting and things yeah, like that yeah yeah i mean usually yeah. these portable objects would have some kind of function like a, a knife handle or a piece of jewelry or whatever but this yeah. this is just a, a small stone it looks like a miniature home stone so it's kind of a funny one so we'll wait and see could be somebody uh, messing at some point in maybe the past. or maybe it's it's yeah, maybe, maybe it's genuine, genuine. but it's yeah. very hard to say with home or with stone because yes. you can't date it, it, it and it, it is. yeah uh, is there any kind of uh on that is there any kind of apart from the inscriptions itself is, is there any kind of dating thing that can be done say with lichen growth or things like that on stones has anything been looked at um i think i did ask somebody about that before and they you know they were kind of saying yeah but it's too big of yeah, yeah yeah so it yeah. wouldn't really be very helpful i think okay um, um and i was just wondering, like you know it is one of the along with your, your kind of classic celtic cross ohm is something that seems to be in the popular imagination you see tattoos of it you see kind of mm. uh tourist stuff with it on or you see people getting their name translated into it and such yeah why do you think Ohm is something that is so big in the popular imagination. What is it about it that, that captures that kind of sense? Well, I suppose because it's a, a different script, you know, to mm. our usual script that you have to, you know, people often like <laughs> to see their no, their name in, a, you know, the Chinese script or, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's got that exotic yeah, almost kind exactly, of Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's something it. that, you know, you kind of have to work out and everybody wants to see what their name looks like in Ohm or, <laughs> you know. And I suppose it's partly... Um, you know, the the script was actually designed for carving names, really. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah. never designed for long text or anything like that. It was no. designed for short, you know, just a few words. So I suppose it's well suited to that to, yeah. purpose. <laughs> and I suppose it is so kind of tied into Ireland yeah. as well. It is, like, although they do appear elsewhere, you do, when you think of it, you tend to think of Ireland, don't you? So maybe it's another expression. Yeah. I mean, you were asking uh, about uh, where else it's found, and it is mm. only in areas where the Irish settled. So okay. uh, you were saying uh, Wales has, you know, probably the highest numbers outside of Ireland. Yeah. Um, Cornwall and Devon. There's a few, two or three, I suppose, scattered around the UK. And then mm. um, the Isle of Man has a good few in Scotland. And the, 
really interesting thing about the Scottish ones, some of mm. them are in Irish, but there are others oh. that are in another language or languages, okay. um, possibly Pictish. A lot of them haven't really been properly deciphered. Okay. There might even be some Norse in there as well. So That's really interesting. They are a much, uh, much more interesting group in, linguistically. Yeah you know, in, in that sense. But so they were kind of uh, absorbing one aspect of the culture and making it their own in a, yes. in a way. That's yeah, really yeah. interesting, for sure. And, you know, your work on the Omen 3D project, it, it's been so important in not only kind of cataloguing and, and locating so much of our kind of own uh, material, but also in it, it's such an accessible website and, and so on as well. What was the kind of genesis of that project and, and how is what's the plans for the for the future uh, kind of what if you could very roughly <laughs> ballpark this might be putting you on the spot sorry uh, <laughs> what percentage of the known home sites would you say that you've covered at this stage if that's a, a right question to ask mm -hmm. uh, and how much more do you think there is out there to look for okay well we have today's we have done i think we have roughly 150 on wow. the website so there are approximately 360 or so in in ireland okay. so to get them all done we'd have to do another 200 or so <laughs> yeah that's um plus the new ones that turn up every now and again yeah um as to how the project got started um well it was started by the dublin institute for advanced studies and it okay. was actually uh professor nam who's the uh the head of the school of theoretical physics mm -hmm. who came up with the idea oh, um, because good. he has a a lot of interest in uh, ancient languages and scripts and that generally okay. and so he approached uh, Fergus Kelly uh, who was then uh, head of the School of Celtic Studies and he said you know maybe this could be something we could start up so yeah. that's where it started from I was a scholar um, in the School of Celtic Studies at the time and I had yeah. a lot of interest in archaeology so they asked me if I'd be interested in doing it and for me it was the dream job to combine archaeology and the linguistic side so brilliant yeah. that, that's fantastic and and how does the kind of the, the what's the future of the project at the moment is it kind of is it dependent on funding or who, it or is yeah yeah we got funding for a few years uh from the department of arts heritage in the gale doctor whatever they were at that time yeah um so we got funding to do the homestones in state care Okay. And we got uh, some extra ones along the way as well. Mm -hmm. um, so since then, we've been just getting bits and pieces of funding to, to try and get a few more done. So really, we need big funding, you to, know, to, to get... To do it kind yeah, of yeah. in a thorough kind of... Exactly. Uh, and I mean, it would be really nice to do not just the Ohm stones in Ireland, mm -hmm. but also the ones, you know, to yeah. have a, a, a digital corpus of the whole... Uh, yeah, of the, special. Yeah, exactly, yeah. to get all of them. Um, and also, I think anyway, it would be really good to, to get the portable OM objects as well and just have mm. everything, you know, in, in one for yeah. anyone studying OM. It would be great to have them all together, it, all done. I mean, because it's already a fantastic resource to build on it in that sort of sense. I think it would be, it gives just such a great insight, I think, into the, the period, you know, that, those kind of early few centuries when christianity like so much changed the romans yeah. went christianity appear all of this kind of stuff it mm -hmm. was very uh, very interesting an interesting period. period yeah for sure and here's a question now <laughs> again it's putting you on the spot do you have a particular favorite inscription well you could have two here you could have a favorite inscription and a favorite homestone <laughs> if you like okay. because they mightn't be the same and you might even have a favorite site as well <laughs> well that's it you might have a favorite site um it is very hard to say 
Mm. Um, my daughter is always asking me questions like that. What's your favorite color? What's your favorite song? <laughs> I, I don't like those questions because I don't have favorites, but yeah. um, it is very difficult. But I suppose um, it's the, the first place and the first stones that pop into my mind are mm. not boy. Oh, but yeah, I think yeah. it's just because we have spent so, so long there, you know, trying to get some work done, conservation work mainly, but also recording them because when we when we got there first uh, just to explain it's a, a 14th century church with uh, six homestones built into the structure mm-hmm. eight homestones were originally found there one uh, is now lost and one another is freestanding inside the church uh, so when when we first got there to record uh, the stones and the site it was so heavily covered in ivy that mm. we could barely even find the homestones. One of them was completely obscured. Yeah, and yeah. the church was, was really in danger of collapsing. So in the last few years, we managed to get funding mainly through the Heritage Council mm-hmm. and uh, with help from Waterford County Council. And obviously the Adopt-A-Monument scheme yeah, came on board as well. Yeah, we've been working well. together yeah, on it, Yeah, so we? it has been great. And we yeah. have managed to to get the site now to a stage where we're, we're in the final, I hope, anyway, stages of... I, I think so. I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. no, I mean, it, it, it's incredible because, as you say, like, when we first saw it, it was so heavily covered. And mm. it was one of the sites, you, you know, we're fortunate to work on the Adopt a Monument scheme. Every site's got its own particular challenges. But any time there was a storm, yeah. not boy, I, I was kind of think, wincing, thinking, oh, my God, I you know, know will more of There were some scary moments, yeah. But uh, to see it now after great work by Tom Pollard and, and, mm. and James Powell, the, the conservation architect, yeah. um, to see it kind of well on the road to being safe for future yeah. generations. I, I think one of the things I find really special about that site as well is... As you say, the church is like 14th century, mm. but the majority of the homestones, they're in very prominent places, aren't they? They're all for windows and doors. They're all, yeah, yeah, yeah. So doesn't that kind of suggest that the, the priest or whoever was overseeing the building mm. had an interest in archaeology or recognised them as yeah. they weren't just building material? Reckon, yeah, you know. yeah, it, they certainly are in very prominent positions facing inwards. Mm. Yeah, it is tempting to think that it was deliberate, all right. And I mean, yeah. even in suitrains, you sometimes find that as well. They're very often used as, as lentils at an entrance or, you know, some prominent position in, in within suitrains as well. Not always, but quite oh, often. Oh, in the gas at Rathcrohan mm-hmm. um, has quite a famous example of that doesn't it yeah there are two there's one at uh, the modern entrance but i don't think it's the original entrance so okay. and then there's one just inside as well to the right yeah. uh, a second one in there so yeah. uh, it, 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 uh, i think it's fascinating it's just you know it's hard to build connections i think sometimes with with a period as remote as that it gets mm. a little easier the more writing we get so yep. the fact that ohm gives us that first foot in the door mm-hmm. if you like to something beyond just the material remains yeah, uh, yeah. i think makes it really special oh, there's the sniper again <laughs> <laughs> the one of the stones at knock boy mm-hmm. uh, if i had to pick one <laughs> mm-hmm. i suppose it is uh, the one uh, that has recently undergone the the conservation work around mm. it was a lentil over um one of the windows in the church and the wall at the side had a, a large crack in it and the, the lentil was leaning inwards. So it was one that we were very worried about. Um, and it's also one that's, you know, very important for the inscription that was actually on it as well. I mean, we can't actually read uh, the personal name, the first name. Um, it's too damaged. We just have the end of the name. But it does have a um, the name Neta Segamonas on it, mm. which um, in... 
by the time of Old Irish would have been Nad Segamon. Okay. And it means champion of Segamo, something like that. Segamo is possibly a Gaulish name, uh, deity really name. Nice. Uh, but the interesting thing is that Nad Segamon is found in the early king lists as a, a king of Cashel. Wow. So, so that's really interesting. And Absolutely. it's also really interesting that the same kin group name, the Netta Segamonas, is also found um, in Ireland. Uh, near Strabilly in Waterford, so not too far away. Okay. And another one, possibly in, um, I'm trying to remember where the third site is now. There Ardmore? Is Doesn't Ardmore have Ardmore, that? exactly. Yeah. Exactly, is the third one. Where there's a lovely, uh, um, long inscription there. Yeah. And again, Netta Segamonas there. So those those three, in a, you know, in a small area of West Waterford, having the same kin group name. And, mm. you know, it obviously was... An important area at the time, and, and or sorry, the, that kin group was important in that particular area at the time. Yeah, that, I mean, that really does give you the impression, doesn't it, of kind of, um, well, kingdom maybe, or mm. some kind of powerful group, as you yeah. say. That It's fascinating. And um, is the, you know, as you say, these stones do turn up from time to time. They do. Um, how do they normally turn up? Is it that a farmer's clearing something or is that kind of usually the way or yeah that's that's very often the way um sometimes it's just somebody who happens uh to see something in a field or or whatever and they say that looks like like for example there was one in somebody's garden uh in cork and they had a visitor from county kerry uh and he said oh that looks like our Homestones and Kerry, <laughs> and that's how <laughs> that's how that one was discovered. So it can happen that somebody can just kind of say that looks a bit like home. It, the light and catches it at the right point yeah, at the right time with yeah. the right person passing, and and there you go. That's it. Yeah, uh, it's it's fascinating, and I really do hope that you know the the project continues to be funded because I think it's it's just unlocking so much. I think it, it's absolutely brilliant, and especially expanded to include those ones in. Britain as well I think it'll just give such a good sense of you know how Irish people moved I think in mm. you know the fourth and fifth centuries I think it'd be vital for that but I want to thank you very much uh, Nora that was uh, that was brilliant and um, I thank you everyone for listening at home and we'll be in touch again soon with another episode of Amplify Archaeology thank you thank you